0: Welcome into our postseason edition of Real Pod Wednesdays coming to you just a couple days after the final game of the season for Ohio State which ended in disappointing fashion for the Buckeyes as Ohio State suffered its only loss of a year but a loss in the biggest game of a year as Alabama defeated Ohio State 52 to 24. We were wrong again. We 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 didn't think Ohio State could beat Clemson. Ohio State beat Clemson pretty easily. We thought Ohio State could beat Alabama. Alabama beat Ohio State pretty easily. Um, you know, it was it was pretty clear from the beginning. I think that we were going to be wrong in this one. I think you could tell pretty early on in this game that Alabama was the better team on the field, and that Ohio State looked like it was going to be overmatched in this one.
1: And I know, you know, there's a – it, it was pretty early on that it, it felt like something was either going to have to change or, you know, what ended up happening was going to happen. And it sort of made me, you know, reflect a little on the Clemson game and the Sugar Bowl, which I just look back and it's like, that was the perfect game. <laughs> like, that was a perfect game for this team. And they essentially needed um, – they essentially needed another perfect game. And I just – you just – they got out coached. They got out played. It seemed like they didn't have, you know, sure that Trey Sermon went down early, and and obviously they didn't finish the game with Wyatt Davis, and they didn't have Tommy guy and Tyreek Smith either. But like, it was one of those games where I don't even know if they have all those guys, if how how, cl- how close it's going to be, how much that would have changed the game, and and we can't like I can't sit here and say it wouldn't have altered the outcome because I you know their offense just wasn't the same offense without Trey Sermon, but. Um, that was an absolute beatdown. I mean, there's no other way to there's no other way to put it.
0: Yeah, someone asked us the question. Uh, Nate SC two asked us for question this week of how much different do you think the game would have been with Sermon playing and with Togi and Smith? Would it really have been any different? And I'm with you, Colin, but I really don't know if it would have been that much different. I mean, I, I, I certainly I think those losses made an impact. Certainly, I think. Losing Trey Sermon on the first play really hurt Ohio State's rushing offense. You know, I don't. I think you know Trey Sermon had clearly proven down the stretch of a season that he was Ohio State's best running back, and I don't think Master Teague and Marcus Crowley were able to replicate uh, what he had been doing. So, or even do, close. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I,
1: that was the issue. It's so like I do they think weren't even, they weren't even close.
0: Yeah, so I think when you're talking about Ohio State's offense only scoring 24 points, I think that is. Absolutely, a factor in why. Now, do I think Ohio State's offense would have scored fifty-two points with Trey Sermon out there? No, but I, I do think that was a significant factor in Ohio State's offense not performing up to anywhere close to what we saw them perform against Clemson. But when when I look at the other side of the ball, now certainly, you know, there, there was not much of a pass rush in this game from Ohio State. And so certainly I do think not having Tommy Togiai and Tyreek Smith out there had an impact on that, but I don't know that it would have fixed the issues that Ohio State clearly had in pass coverage in this game. And ultimately, you know, that to me stands out as the number one thing from this game is it just looked easy for Alabama. I mean, Alabama scored 52 and Alabama probably could have scored 63. You know, I mean, they were just moving the ball on Ohio State so easily in this game. You know, and especially in the first half with Devontae Smith out there, you know, Ohio State just had absolutely no answer for Devontae Smith. And you'd have to think, you know, you game plan for this game, the Heisman Trophy winner is going to be the number one guy that you're game planning for. And there were times he was just getting left wide open, but nobody was covering him and you know they just had no answer for him, and then even when he came out of a game in the second half of an injury, you know Alabama still had plenty of success moving the ball. You know they they, they just didn't do anything to make Mac Jones uncomfortable. Uh, I mean he he completed uh, I think thirty six of forty five passes for four hundred sixty four yards. Um, you know it, it just it just looked easy for for Alabama's offense all night long and. It, 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 you, you can't let a team do that in a national championship game.
1: I mean, it was an abomination of the defensive performance and it was everything that you sort of wondered about, you know, is this really as bad as it seems or is it worse than maybe it seems? And like all those answers were yes. I mean, as much as, uh, as much as it hurt them to not have Tyreek Smith and Tommy Guy, like Tyreek Smith has four sacks in three years And Tommy Togiai, like, he had his three-set game against Penn State, but what he does best is he plugs up the middle and he makes it uncomfortable for teams to run up the middle. And and sure, he can get some sort of pass rush, but just him, he wasn't going to change that. I mean, they had no answer with the guys that they had at all. And I think the thing that was sort of staggering to me um, watching is – like you just, it just felt like they weren't changing a thing. It just felt like again and again, you just saw them trying the exact same game plan, it not working. You saw the same guys out there who just got torched, who who we had seen get torched two months prior against Indiana, um, and it felt like to me on offense, you know, Ryan Day was sort of coaching a game. He was making decisions like when to go for it, when to punt it, all these kinds of decisions, as if they had some sort of a plan defensively. And they didn't at all. And and I think that that's the thing that was sort of disconcerting is he was coaching. Like they had a plan defensively and they just didn't to me.
0: Yeah. I mean, we got a lot of questions about Kerry Combs this week and we'll get to those uh, here in a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it was a good performance at all uh, for the off state defense and whatever the game plan uh, was supposed to do. I don't think it worked. Uh, and I think, you know, we, we had seen issues for his defense all year, but I think, you know, t- for the biggest game of the year to just get so clearly outcoached uh, by Steve Sarkeesian. In this, I mean, give start give Steve Sarkeesian credit. I thought he called a fabulous game on offense and I think he clearly uh, outcoached Kerry Combs and the Ohio State defensive staff in this game. And I, and I think it goes, you know, both ways. I, I don't think Ryan Day had his best game either as a coach. I think, you know, we had talked about, you know, the Northwestern game, uh, we didn't think Ryan Day was at his best. And then I think, you know, Clemson was, was Ryan Day at his best. I mean, Clemson was everybody at their best. You know, I think that was just, you know, offense, defense, every phase of a game was, you know, Ohio State just firing on all cylinders. And I think, you know, you know, we, we, I think it was at the back of my mind. And I think, I think I probably had too much confidence in Ohio State just based off, how they played against Clemson, but it was always at the back of my mind that there was a good chance that what we saw against Clemson was legitimately Ohio State's best as a team in 2020 and that Ohio State wasn't going to be able to duplicate that against Alabama. And that's what ultimately happened is I think ultimately, you know, we saw this Ohio State team, you know, we we asked all year, how good was this Ohio State team? And I still kind of come out of this year like not totally sure about that because it was just such a weird season. But to me, I look at it and I say, the Ohio State team we saw against Clemson, that was Ohio State's peak. That was Ohio State at its best. But I think we only saw that best for one game. And I think there's a variety of reasons for that. But they had to play their absolute best to have a chance to beat Alabama. And it just didn't happen.
1: I think we need to sort of dial in on both sides of the ball because I think there are some interesting things. What do you, what did you think was more interesting? The defense getting torched or the offense
0: putting up 24? It's a good question because I think, I think the defense is the thing that like obviously stood out, especially as I was watching the game and digesting the game in real time is, you know, just the fact that the defense was, 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 was playing so poorly. I think you know, that's such an obvious thing that stood out. And I think to most people, that's what most people have, you know, reacted to in the, the last couple, of days, couple of days, and I, I do think that is the number one reason why Ohio State lost the game. But I didn't really even realize until after the game, like, Ohio State had its lowest yardage total of the season by a lot, like by a lot. And we had talked about going into the game, like, we really thought it was going to be a shootout. Like I I was very confident that Ohio state was going to be able to score him that Alabama defense. I, I really didn't think, you know, that Alabama defense was going to hold Ohio state to less than high thirties. So for Ohio state to only score 24, you know, that, that's a disappointing performance too. You know, it, it definitely surprised me. I was definitely wrong about that. As I thought, Alabama's defense was going to be more vulnerable than it was. And I think mean, it goes both ways. I think probably to some extent, I didn't give Alabama defense enough credit. I think I probably focused too much on the two games that they were really bad and maybe not enough on the other games. Uh, but I also think, you know, Ohio State just, just wasn't at its best there. And again, part of that was because of Trey Sermon. And, and you know, part of that was because... Again, Justin Fields was at his absolute best against Clemson, and against Alabama, he was just okay. And I think you know Alabama did a better job of of putting pressure on him than Clemson did. And you know I think mean, maybe his hip was bothering him a little bit more, and you know he just wasn't as sharp as he was against Clemson. And they needed him to be at that elite level again if they were going to have a chance to beat Alabama.
1: Yeah, I think you made a comment that I just agree with, which is you know you you said. You know what? The main reason they lost is the defense. But I don't. I, I think the main reason they lost is because they put up 24. I mean, it felt like you. You remember when they go out there and you know they lose the coin toss. They run out there three yards on the on the first drive on three plays, punting away. And like my reaction in the press spots was like, "Oh no!" Like they're they they're in a little bit of trouble right here. Clemson or Alabama goes right down 12 plays, 78 yards, and on that last play, it seemed like they might have a chance you know, to, to stop them at the goal line. Like that would have been a massive goal line stand to start the game when Nadja Harris plunged it in there, you know, my reaction was sort of just like, I know that Alabama's going to get the ball in the second half. I don't know after seeing this drive, if Ohio state is going to stop them even once they're going to be in some trouble. And like that to me is sort of the epitome of why they lost because it felt like that they weren't playing really as aggressive as they needed to be. And I knew like, I don't know. I, I feel like all of us knew that Alabama was going to score at will and Ryan day didn't seem to coach as aggressively as we've really seen him offensively. I mean, they punted four times in the first half, they kicked the field goal right down near the goal line after a, after a 69 yard drive. Um, It just, you know, nothing was clicking. I do think that having Trey Sermon would have changed that at least in the first half. Um, But I mean, they weren't winning at the line of scrimmage like they have recently. Like, to me, the game was lost on the offensive side because I expected Alabama to put up points, and I expected that, especially after that first drive. It's like I don't really know if they have any answers to this to this Crimson Tide offense at all. And the fact that, you know, all they could do is, you know, Alabama scored seven touchdowns on the on, on the following drive. Ohio State only scored one touchdown following any of those seven touchdowns. It's like you have to go score for score with them and, like, they barely even went score for score once.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think certainly, I think we both certainly would have said going into this game, if Ohio State scores only 24 points, is Ohio State going to lose? And we both would have said absolutely. I mean, we, we both would have guessed that if Ohio State scored only 24 points in this game, it was going to lose by a significant margin. So I, I, I get what you're saying there. Um, I think my point on the defense is, you know, you, 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 you make that point, but you also flip it around. Every time Ohio State scored a touchdown, Alabama marched right back down the field and scored a touchdown on the next possession. Ohio State never had a chance to get any kind of sustained momentum in this game. And the reason why was because their defense could not stop Alabama at all. I mean, I mean, it,
1: part of that, though, is Alabama's offense, like Alabama's offense is a freaking juggernaut. It is like people are talking about the 2020 Alabama offense or the 2019 LSU offense. Like that's a reasonable conversation to have. So I think that there's some understanding that like, like if you had said to me before the game, if Ohio State puts up 24 points, what percentage chance they have to win? I would have literally said zero. And if you asked me if Alabama puts up 52, what percentage chances of Ohio State have to, to win? I wouldn't have been over 50, but I certainly wouldn't have been at zero. I mean, I don't know. I would have been like, I don't know, 15, 20%. Like they had a chance in my head, they had a chance to win. If that, if the defense got torched and I thought that, you know, I thought that that was certainly a realistic possibility. I, you know, I think Trey Sermon to me, no, I I, I mean, that's the thing about this game is it's, 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 this season's impossible to analyze because how do you analyze, you know, all these teams playing different times, types of schedules, um, but also, like, how do we even analyze this national championship game um, in, in a great way? Because I do think that the offense at least would have changed um, had they had Trey Sermon. It's just, you know, I don't, I'm not sure that he's going to have 30 points.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, again, I get what you're saying, but I think you're going to have a hard time selling me on the idea of. Well, you know, Ohio State's defense wasn't the reason why it lost the game when they gave up 52 points. I mean, I agree with you. I mean, Alabama's offense is unbelievable, and they deserve all the credit for how good that they are. But you basically never win a football game when you give up 52 points. And, you know, I I came into this game, I expected Alabama to score a lot, but I also thought Ohio State's defense needed to show – some ability to make some stops here that, you know, you had, you know, you, you had to string some stops together. I mean, they made one big play in the first half Baron Browning strip sack that did lead to Ohio state touchdown. And that was a big early momentum swing in the game. So I give the defense credit for that. But after that, you know, it just didn't show any ability while the game was still on the line to, to come up with any stops to string together, any stops to give Ohio state, you know, any chance to get back in the game. So, you know, I think it's both. I mean, I think we're kind of, we're talking at cross purposes here because, you know, football's a, it's a complimentary game. You've got to, you've got to both sides of the ball have to complement each other to win in this, in the sport of football. And the reality is neither side of a ball, you know, they talked about it again, the Clemson game, about how well they did that. And the reality is in this game, neither side of a ball did what it needed to do for Ohio state, to win this game. They did not play complimentary free football because neither side of the ball got job up.
1: So what do you want to say about Kerry
0: Combs? Well, I think, you know, I think the the fears that weren't too large in my mind, but were at the back of my mind when he was hired. I think those fears materialized. And I think now. You know, I think when he was hired, there was so much excitement about the hire because he was very popular his first time around at, o- at Ohio State. And, you know, I think there was a lot of optimism that, you know, he was going to step in and do a really good job. And so I think a lot of people were hesitant to, to doubt him then. But now, you know, the doubters are here. Uh, and I think now the questions really loom large as to is Kerry Combs actually a good defensive coordinator? Can Kerry Combs get the job done as defensive coordinator? And I think those are very valid questions for a guy that's getting paid $1.4 million a year to lead Ohio state's defense. And I think, you know, going into 2021, I think that's going to be a massive question is can Kerry Combs get this defense back on track? Because, you know, I think we've both agreed that you know in 2019 they had an elite defensive coordinator in in Jeff Hafley who just did a phenomenal job at Ohio State, and you know I, I think you know I think the thing about Kerry Combs that we've always known is you know he's a he's a great you know secondary coach. You have, the secondary didn't have a good year, but I still don't doubt Kerry Combs' ability to develop defensive backs because he he has enough of a track record with that. But I'm confident he can get on track there in terms of developing talent. But in terms of coaching an entire defense, in terms of defensive scheme, I don't know if he's got it. I, I don't know if he's got it. Um, based on what we saw this year, I, I think uh, I think there's some real questions there about whether you know he he he's got what it takes as a as a you know scheme guy. To to really be you know a defensive coordinator at, at this level, and I think you know going into twenty twenty one, you know there's going to need to be some very real improvement in, in pass defense for Kerry Combs to answer those questions.
1: You know, speaking of scheme guys, you know maybe we should have thought about this ahead of time and had Kyle Jones on because we we'll, have Kyle, scheme on guys. Yeah, we'll but, have Kyle on guys. Yeah, we'll have Kyle on. But you know the soon. interesting you know the interesting thing that you know I've been I think Seth Galina from Pro Football Focus wrote a really good piece about this. Um, I don't know 100, percent know, who to blame on this. Like, I think some of this um, is that this is sort of the defense that Ryan Day wants to run. He brought in Kerry Combs to run it, who hasn't really—he, I mean, he hasn't—he hadn't been a defensive coordinator before. Um, he hadn't run this specific defense, but they're still running it. And they still ran it against, you know, Alabama in the national championship, and they got torched. And, you know, there was that video of Steve Sarkeesian that was floating around social media talking about how easy it is to, to beat, you know, cover through with RPOs. But, like, that's the kind of defense that that Ryan Day wants to run. So part of me wonders, like, is this a Ryan Day thing? Is this a thing that Ryan Day is going to have to change going forward? Or is this a Kerry Combs thing in the in the lack of ability to make in-game adjustments and the lack of ability to, you know, sort of, you know, make slight, you know, changes with, within a game to, to coverages to, you know, muck things up a bit because it, I mean, at the very least you had to change something. It felt like it felt like so often they weren't getting any sort of pressure and they were still getting torched in the back end. Um, And I do think it's, it's worth wondering where Ryan day specifically goes from here. And if he changes his philosophy beyond just what, what Kerry Combs does.
0: Well, I think certainly as the head coach, you always bear responsibility for how your, how your team does in, in any phase. Of, of the game or in your program in general so uh certainly uh I think Ryan Day does bear responsibility here and I think you know the big thing now is you know the big thing that he bears responsibility for now is he's got to figure out how to fix it uh if Kerry Combs is going to continue to be the lead defensive coordinator then then he's got to figure out how to fix it too because that's that's the job he's getting paid to do. That's the title that he was given when he got here uh, was to lead that defense. So, I, you know, I think, you know, he bears a lot of responsibility, but I think, you know, Ryan Day bears a lot of responsibility here too, uh, to fix it. And, I, and I'm just going to, I'm going to be interested to see, you know, does, is there any, you know, shake up at all in terms of, you know, defensive, you know, you know, coaches or, or anything, um, you know, I know there was a report out, earlier today about, you know, maybe Greg Madison, you know, could potentially, uh, move on, uh, after this season. Uh, I haven't heard that, cannot, uh, confirm that or, or anything at this point. Um, but it is out there. So, you know, I, I figured I can acknowledge that. Um, but you know, if that were to happen, could that be an opening, uh, to maybe, you know, bring someone else in and maybe, you know, change things up a little bit, you know, maybe, Uh, I think one way or another, I think if you're Ryan Day and you're Kerry Combs and you're anyone on that defensive staff, you guys need to, you know, over the next couple months here, you need to review everything that happened this year and you need to figure out why didn't this work. And then you've got to figure out how to fix it because this era uh, of college football and these, uh, you know, juggernaut offenses, I don't think that's going anywhere. You know, I think we've seen it the past two years here now. LSU and Alabama uh, that, you know, this is kind of becoming the blueprint to winning a national championship in college football is having this elite offense. And so I think, you know, all these teams are going to be looking at that. And I think that's going to become, you know, the priority for everybody is trying, you know, to build, you know, these elite offenses that can just outscore people. Because I think that's where we're at. In, in terms of college football right now is you're not winning a national championship because you've got a, a dominant defense you're you're because I, I, I don't know if there are, I just don't know if there are going to be dominant defenses in college football anymore. I think it, offenses have gotten so far ahead of the defenses that, you know, it, defenses, it's becoming more about, you know, being able to make enough stops to keep team and teams in games rather than just shutting opponents down. Uh, so I, I think, you know, from a defensive standpoint, you know, it, Ohio state has got a, uh, it's it's not necessarily about, you know, your defense has to stifle everybody, but you also can't allow your team to get run off the field. So I, I think, you know, they've got to figure out, okay, why, why is Alabama able to do this to us? You know, why was Indiana, Indiana able to do what it did to us? And, what do we need to change to fix this? You know, maybe there are, maybe there are things, you know, maybe there are things that Ryan day has wanted to do that, you know, maybe they have to look and say, you know, this didn't work anymore. Maybe we need to change something up. I don't know. Again, I'm not a scheme guy, but you know, I just think that one way or another, you've got to fix it. Cause if the goal is to win national championships, giving up, over 600 yards and 52 points in a national championship game isn't getting the job done.
1: Well, I think that, like, you know, I don't think Kerry Collins did a great job as defensive coordinator. But if we're really talking about like what needs to, like, can you, what what needs to happen to prevent this from happening again? I mean, there are two things really. I mean, one, like, just have awesome guys at key positions, like have lockdown corners, a great safety who's not going to let anything by, and then a great pass rush. And like Ohio State didn't have any of that this year, um, which is one of the main reasons why they couldn't, you know, succeed with this defense. But if you're not going to have that, then you do wonder like, are they going to have some sort of a philosophy change in the back? And you know, it's interesting. Like, I mean, they're bringing in a ton of defensive backs. It does feel like they're deeper at safety with with underclassmen maybe than they are at, at some other positions. You know, you do wonder if maybe they'll they they will. You know, shift towards some sort of a philosophy change, but you know Ryan Day made it very clear when he had Jeff Hafley and, and when he had Kerry Combs that like this is the Ryan Day defense, and you know that to me was a that to me was a clear thing, and and to me them not changing it in the middle of the game or not developing some sort of more specific scheme that it felt like like to take Devontae Smith out or, or something else, um, it, other than to just try to not let them beat you running up the middle, um, I felt like that was a Ryan Day thing and i do wonder how much him he, philosoph- he philosophically will will have to make a shift in the offseason because yeah you can't like if you if you're going to run this again next year like what's going to make it change unless you believe that with one more year some of these cornerbacks are going to be able to to lock down to the the, the Devonte the next Devontae Smith and you're going to be able to to get some sort of a pass rush on, on the next Mac Jones against the next Alex Leatherwood. I mean, that's just a lot to ask for if you're looking about individual matchups. And it did feel like this is a this is a this is a moment where Ryan Day has to sort of decide where this defense wants to go beyond
0: just Kerry Combs. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And you know, I think we can learn something about Ryan Day and how that how he responds to this. Because, you know, I think that was one of the criticisms of urban Meyer late in his Ohio state tenure. And I thought they were valid in that. I thought he kind of got set in his ways on both sides of the ball in terms of there were things that he wanted to do that he believed in and didn't want to deviate from them, even when they weren't really working. And so I think now, you know, this is a spot where Ryan day gets put in a similar spot of, okay, this is clearly the defense that he's believed in, but it didn't work this year. So, you know, just what does he see that needs to be made in terms of changes? And, you know, does he go ahead and make them? Cause I think, you know, one of the things we had talked about with this defensive scheme, you know, last off season, you know, but, you know, was at the back of my mind all along is, you mentioned it in terms of the personnel, like a big reason why that worked was just because they had an absolutely elite secondary that year and Jeff Okuda, Damon Arnett, Sean Wade and Jordan Fuller. And then, you know, you lose Okuda, Arnett and Fuller and the drop off was just so great because, you know, really they got worse at all four positions because Sean Wade he may have been named an all American, but he did not play like an all American this year. I mean, he, he did not have a good year, you know, seven banks was just okay. Marcus Williamson was just okay. Josh Proctor was just okay. You know, Marcus hooker got benched at the end of the year because it, they realized that he wasn't doing that well. So, you know, I mean, that, that's a huge thing obviously is personnel and you've got to get back to developing, you know, those elite players in a secondary and that, That's certainly a huge part of Kerry Combs' job. That's a huge reason why Kerry Combs was hired, because he has a track record of developing these first-round NFL draft picks in the secondary, and, you know, you'd expect that he'll be able to do that again. But, you know, the reality is they needed Sean Wade to become a first-round player this year, and that didn't happen. And they needed some of those other guys to, you know, become stars too, and that didn't happen.
1: That's where it's tough to know where, you know, how much the the lack of a, a full season, or how much the weird practice time and, and weird off season really affected them, and, and did you get the kind of Zach Harrison leap that you maybe expected, or did Tyreek make Tyreek Smith make the kind of jump that that you really that you know as Ohio State really wanted him to, and you know I certainly don't think that that they did, and you know it makes me wonder it, since they used the used the same scheme, it makes me wonder how much that they really expected. Um, of those guys, and, and and it didn't really come through. But um, I feel like we need some sort of a positive note because this is like the most negative podcast of all time. Um, so let me just tee you up here. Um, Justin Fields, unless something is uh, totally amiss, will go pro, and his Ohio State career will end. And you know, in in my mind, the most talented quarterback. To ever suit up for Ohio state will leave. Like, what is, what is his last two years sort of meant to the program? Um, even if he didn't finish it the way that he wanted to, and you didn't get the national championship with him, how do you contextualize what he's done?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think he, I think he probably is the best quarterback in Ohio state history. I think just in terms of, uh, you know, just how, great a player he is how talented he is you know i don't think ohio state's ever had another quarterback uh quite like him um you know i mean his, you know his numbers you know i think you know certainly you know this year he didn't have the chance to put up the kind of numbers he could have if it was a full normal season but you know you're still talking about a guy who you know broke the school record uh for completion percentage uh you know had a you know ridiculous amount of touchdowns for the number of games that he played, you know, you know, both as a, you know, passer and a runner. So I think, you know, he's a guy that, you know, had, you know, a phenomenal two-year run for Ohio State. You know, certainly I think, you know, the Clemson game, I think, is one that's always going to be remembered as, you know, one of the greatest individual performances in Ohio State history because that was just an absolutely spectacular performance. You know, and I think, you know, if you're talking about, you know, what it means to, you know, to the program. I mean, I think, uh, you know, for one thing, I think it's a big reason why uh, they have, you know, CJ Stroud and Jack Miller, and we'll have Kyle McCord in a couple of weeks and uh, are going to have Quinn Ewers a year from now, because uh, I think people, uh, I think young quarterbacks see what Justin Fields did at Ohio state and and they want to have a chance to be the next Justin Fields at Ohio state. Uh, so I think it's certainly you know big in that regard you know i think the disappointing thing is is ohio state didn't win a national title with justin fields because you could say okay this is a guy who you know you can make a case he's, he's the best player in ohio state history I, I don't think i can go quite there i mean i don't i don't think i can put him over a, a two-time heisman trophy winner but i think i can i can say that i think he's probably the best quarterback Ohio state has ever had. And so to not win a national title with him, I think that is a letdown. I think that is a disappointment because you just don't know when you're going to have another quarterback like fields. They're certainly recruiting the talent to give themselves a chance to have that kind of player. But Justin Fields is special guys like Justin Fields, uh, just don't come along all the time. And like I said, so many times on his podcast, I I just hope people appreciated uh, Justin Fields' career while they had a chance to still watch him play for the Buckeyes because uh, he he really is a special player who, you know, he's going to be a very high pick in the NFL draft and will probably go on to have success in the NFL too. But uh, he's certainly, you know, the type of player uh, that you should feel very lucky to have uh, whenever you have a chance to have one like him on your team.
1: I almost think less of, you know, what Justin Fields has done at Ohio State and, and more so think back to what it would have been like if they didn't get Justin Fields. I mean, you would have had Ryan Day coming in year one with a roster that I think, you know, I think everybody who was watched this team, everybody who's covered this team, thought the 2019 roster was probably better than the 2020 roster. Um, and you would have had that roster with either Tate Martell or Matthew Baldwin and man oh man that trajectory of ryan day's first two years would have been completely different i mean i don't even know what tate martell is doing now i just saw i i had to check it out he's like on instagram you know uh the so the usc linebacker gattiote how do you how do you pronounce his name i'm not Gaiote, i don't i don't even Gaiote know why or i something. attempted that one yeah yeah, yeah. um you no know, he's training with him i don't even know like is he technically on miami i have no idea what tate martell is doing but you know Matthew Baldwin. You know his college, his football career came to an end. I think it was last year. Like those were the those are the quarterbacks that Ohio State would have had, and instead they have this guy in Justin Fields, who I think is the best, most talented quarterback that they, they've ever had. And the trajectory of the program to me is just so so changed because of him. I mean, now you have guys lining up. You have the the Jack Miller, C.J. Stroud already at Ohio State. You have Kyle McCord committed. You have Quinn Ewers committed, and. It just feels like now that, they had, now that they have Justin Fields, like you know what this program is. And this program is the current QBU, right, along with, you know, I think Clemson, Alabama, and Oklahoma are the others that are probably in contention for that. But that's where Ohio State is right now, and I do wonder where they would have been without Justin Fields. I think that that's, that's the part about Justin Fields that's so amazing to me is I think that Ohio State as a program, Ryan Day as a head coach, would be in a totally, totally different spot if they didn't get him. I mean, I I really just – it's hard to even imagine what it would have been like. Like, would they have gone after another transfer quarterback at at that time? Maybe, but you're not getting Justin Fields if you're doing that.
0: We we talked about it before the season, about how the expectation, you know, for this year would be national championship or bust, and and Justin Fields – was a big reason for that so when you consider that back in that context you know how do you evaluate the 2020 season is it more of a disappointment that the Buckeyes didn't win at all or a success that they won all their other games and got as far as they did considering everything they had to overcome along the way
1: I think the national championship is a disappointment and I like you know as as much as it as much as it suck for Ohio State to to lose Sermon and Wyatt Davis during the game and not have Togiai and Tyreek Smith, it still shouldn't have been a beat down like that. I mean, something went wrong there. But if you're calling this season a failure because they didn't win the national championship or because they got blown out in the national championship game, I just think you're just off base. I mean, one, like you beat Clemson. <laughs> like to, to me, it, it, it's sort of weird to have that conversation between the sugar bowl and the national championship game of like, is the season a success? If they lose a ch- national championship, like I don't think that that's a great conversation to have between them, but like to me, it's a success. I mean, to me, Ohio state ended the year as the second best team in college football. And it just so turned out that the, the best team in college football is an, an absolute juggernaut led by the greatest college football coach of all time. I mean, you 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 ran the table in the in the regular season, maybe not in a dominant way that you did in twenty nineteen, but you still won all your games. There were no slip ups. Um you didn't get the Michigan game, but but you you got you got the monkey off your back with Clemson. You did it in a way that will be forever remembered and and you had, you know, one more year of, of Justin Fields being great. So, you know, I think it's important to contextualize this season that way. And I also think it's a hard season to contextualize because yeah, I mean you did get blown out in the national championship game. The Michigan game didn't happen. Like this isn't a perfect season, but for what it was, I thought Ohio
0: state did well. Yeah. I'm right there with you. I mean, I think the Clemson win was huge because I think, you know, we had, you had talked about it before and I think you were right. But if, you know, if Ohio state didn't win that game, you know, it was going to be hard to really say Ohio state still stood right alongside those elite programs until they, Went out and beat one of them again. You know they went one for two. You know they played they played the other two teams that I think are in the elite free in college football right now, and they went one for two. They played great against Clemson. They played bad against Alabama. Um, so you know I I think you know I'm right there with you on both sides of it. You know I mean I think uh, it, again the expectation at Ohio State should be winning national championships, especially when you have a quarterback like Justin Fields. So it's totally reasonable. Uh, to be disappointed about what happened on on Monday night. And and certainly, you know, I think that disappointment's going to linger with the Buckeyes all offseason, just like that Clemson lost did last year. And I think uh, it's going to be a big motivating factor going into 2021. But I, I, d- I don't think that should overshadow everything else that the Buckeyes were able to accomplish this year, because I think that Clemson win was huge. I don't I, I don't think that win, you know, should be uh, dampened just because of what happened after it. I think that's a game that deserves to be uh, remembered fondly uh, for what it was. And I think, again, I mean, the thing, I mean, when we when we think back on this season, I mean, I think there's two things we're going to ultimately remember the most. I mean, one of them is beating Clemson, but the big one is this season was crazy. I mean, this this season being played in a pandemic. We didn't even know if it was going to happen. There were games being canceled left and right. There were players who were out each week. I and mean, it was an absolutely crazy season. We had no idea if it would start. We had no idea if it would finish. And just the fact that Ohio State was able to overcome all of that craziness and win another Big Ten championship and beat Clemson in the Sugar Bowl and get to the national championship game. I think all of that is absolutely a success. Uh, you know, it absolutely should be uh, remembered fondly. Uh, you know, I think also, too, that, you know, I think one thing that absolutely should not be overshadowed when, you know, you talk about disappointment of a national championship game is just don't forget the sacrifices that everybody made to, you know, make the season happen. I mean, you talk about the Ohio State players. Most of those guys are seeing their families right now for the first time in months. Because they were told not to leave campus, not to go see their families, to, to reduce their risk of getting COVID. So, you know, these guys sacrificed a lot to have a chance to compete for a national championship. But it's, it's disappointing they, they came up short of their goal after all those sacrifices. But to get as far as they did, I think that's absolutely a uh, season worthy of a lot of praise. And I hope that it's a season that most Ohio state fans will be, you know, very grateful and appreciative of.
1: I don't think I've ever seen something where it was so pedal to the metal as this season. I mean, from, from way back in March when things end and it's like, how in the world are you going to figure out a way to train? And like, you've got to self motivate yourself for months and then you got to get back on campus and you can't be around other people um, throughout off season workouts. You don't know if the season is going to actually happen. You still have to motivate yourself to actually train during that time anyway, as if there's hypothetically going to be a season that for you know, both of us, we at one point in time, we just didn't see it happening. Um, and through all that, like months and months and months of, of, of training and, and working out and, and getting ready for these games – like to hear Ryan Day after the game just say, like, we need a break, like we need to get away. Like it was it was one of those things that you heard him say even before the national championship. But like I've never I've never I've never felt like uh you know, I've never felt like after a season the way that I feel about a team um this season, which is like I can't believe like I don't even know when the next time these guys can even work out is. <laughs> like, like how long can it be? Like these guys need to just take a break. Like usually after each season, like I'm ready to just dive into the next one, put it like, put out some sort of, you know, I don't know, some sort of, I'm, I'm interested in like depth chart projects and nets. like, what's it going to look like with, with all these guys leaving? Like who's leaving? like it's Wednesday night as we record this, nobody's made any announcements. Like, I just hope everybody's been asleep. Like, like I hope everybody's been able to take a breath because it just, it felt like you were, it felt like Ohio State was sprinting for months and months and months on end. Um, And at the end, sure, you didn't have enough to to get to the the finish line that you wanted to. But I mean, I think they made it to the finish line. They just didn't make it first.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think just, For us, like just speaking from our perspective, like I think it's going to take some time just to mentally decompress from this season because it's just been uh, so crazy, so many different elements of this year that we just never had to deal with before. And I mean, I'll be honest with you guys, I really hope we never get to a point again where every week – a hundred of you are DMing me every week asking which players are out due to COVID. And I can't tell you, uh, I really hope that uh, we get past this uh, before next fall so that uh, we can have a normal season where uh, we're not we dealing with this stuff anymore. Uh, but yeah, it was crazy. And and it, and it is, it's going to make for a different off season too. And I think, you know, on next week's show, uh, we really can, you know, start to dive more into uh, 2021 and kind of what our expectations are, uh, going into prep for 2021, but, uh, it, it is, you know, it is going to have some effect there, uh, in terms of how, you know, the offseason starts now, granted, I, I think that's going to be pretty true for everybody. I think everybody uh, kind of needs a break right now. You know, I don't think, you know, including I, us.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I,
0: I, cause I'm sure some people hear that and they and they think, oh, well, Ohio State's taking a break and these other teams are, are working out. They're going to get behind. Uh, you know, I, I I have a feeling most programs are going to be doing the same thing because I think, you know, everybody's kind of burnt out from what happened this past year. And, you know, I'm interested to see.
1: I mean, Ohio State had extra bull practices. They've been practicing for months and months and months. It's not like I think Ohio State might have practiced more than every other team in the country since August.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised to – um, you know, I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen in regards to spring practice and whatnot as of yet, but I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised too if, you know, the coaches and football oversight committee and all that, you know, discuss, and maybe they even make some adjustments, uh, there as well, um, you know, kind of based on what everybody's feeling in terms of, uh, you know, maybe, you know, limiting, you know, different times this off season and, and stuff like that, uh, just to kind of, you know, give everybody you know, some time uh to regroup. Cause it was. I mean, it's been a taxing uh year and, you know, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, with vaccinations starting to roll out more everywhere and stuff that you know, hopefully, you know, we get to the summer and things will be in a better place with COVID that, you know, everything from, you know, fall camp onward can be normal. But, you know, I do anticipate that, you know, spring practice might look a little different this year. But you know, things are still going to look a little different for a while uh, here this year. And some of that really is, it's just recovering from just what was an absolutely crazy 2020.
1: So you you had written down on the show sheet, and I imagine you have some names, offensive MVP, defensive MVP, and, and biggest surprise. And, you know, I was just sort of brainstorming in my head. But I do think it's interesting to to run through those because it's been the weirdest season in the world, but if you take Justin Fields out of the equation who in your mind has been the offensive MVP of this team.
0: That's such a, that one's such a tough one because I really think there's a lot of, you know, different guys who you could go with there, but you know, I think the guy I'm going to go with is I'm going to go with Chris Olave. And I, cause I think I realized that after the Northwestern game that he didn't play and, just how important he was uh, to the Ohio state offense in terms of, you know, his ability uh, to, you know, make plays down the field and really be that number one guy in the receiving core. And, you know, I think one thing we've seen throughout his career, and you know again, he hasn't made a decision yet. My guess is we've probably seen the last game of Chris Olave in an Ohio state uniform, but, you know, one thing, you know, I, you kind of, when you look at his career is, when Ohio state played its best over the last three years, it was usually because Chris Olave had a big game, you know, but he, he, he you know, other fields, you know, he was kind of a guy who it seemed like had that effect on Ohio state, but Ohio state was at its best when Chris Olave was at his best. And he usually uh, tended to step up the most in big games. So I think there's a lot of different guys on Ohio state's offense, other than Justin Fields, who I could give that award to, but I got to give it to Chris Olave because I think he's a guy that's had you know, a phenomenal career uh, for the Buckeyes, and another guy who I think, uh, if this is it for him, uh, should be remembered very fondly by the Ohio State fan base.
1: Yeah, I think Olave. You know, to me, there are two other picks. Um, it's Justin Fields, it's Chris Olave, and it's Trey Sermon. And I, you know, I, I sort of had the same realization. I mean, I talked about on this podcast about I. I thought Garrett Wilson was the most important receiver, and I don't think. I mean especially if you look at the stretch run. like Garrett Wilson didn't do a ton, to be quite honest, in the last three games of the season. Um, I think Chris Olave is a completely worthy pick. I'll just go with Trey Sermon because I think if you look at what he I, – I, without Trey Sermon, I don't know if they beat Northwestern. I mean, first off, like it, it's funny because that game is both the argument for Chris Olave and for Trey Sermon because with Chris Olave, I don't really think it's as close of a game. And without Trey Sermon, I don't know that they win. Um, he completely changed that offense that day and, and made me a made me a Trey Sermon believer. I mean, you put up 190 more yards with 60 60 more passing yards or 60 more receiving yards, essentially 250 yards from scrimmage against Clemson in the Sugar Bowl. Like that's sort of nuts. And then it I mean, you felt it in the in the Alabama game. Like I don't think Trey Sermon playing would have caused him to win, but Trey Sermon not playing, I think, might have caused him to get blown out. I mean, he he completely changed this offense down the stretch in a way that I didn't think possible. I mean, I thought I I can't stress enough how how not good I thought I was about to say bad. Like I didn't I don't know that I thought he was actively bad, but I didn't think he was good at all. I mean, he didn't make anybody miss. He felt so slow hitting holes early in the season, and by the end of it, it's like is not how much better is Najee Harris than Trey Sermon really, which is like an absurd thing to ask. But that's the point of the year that that that's that. You know, that's that's the point in Trey Sermon's career, it sort of felt like. And I, I'm gonna be absolutely fascinated to see this NFL draft lead up for him and you know, where he gets taken. I don't know how in the world you're supposed to evaluate him. I guess like if I'm being honest, like I mean if you can if you can get him comfortable, like you sort of, like those last those last few games are, are legitimate. And it's unfortunate we didn't we didn't get get didn't get a chance to to see him finish it because who knows, like he had a chance to to Know have the best three th- end of season three game running back um, stretch and, and break break Ezekiel Elliott's mark there, and that would have been absolutely fascinating to see. But obviously, we did not get a chance. Who would your pick be for
0: defensive MVP?
1: I almost want to do what Ohio State did in the Sugar Bowl and just say like front seven against the run, <laughs> because like that's my defensive MVP. You you can't even bring up anybody in the secondary in consideration. Like that, you'd be a lunatic to even say that. Um, I think if you were to look at linebacker, like Pete Warner and Justin Hilliard are two guys who I think you can make strong cases for. Um, if you go good defensive line, I think Cooper is in the mix. I think the defensive tackles, Eskel Garrett and, and Tommy Togiai are there too. And I'll be honest, like, I don't totally know where to go. Like this was a defense without an MVP to me. Like I almost just want to leave that blank. I, I don't feel like there was an MVP. Because part of me, if the last two games didn't happen, I would say Haskell Garrett. But Haskell Garrett wasn't super impactful in the last two games. Like those were the most two those were the two most important games of the entire season. Um it might have been Tommy guy if he played, but obviously he didn't play in the national championship game. So I'm not really sure if I'm able to pick him. Like I almost want to say Justin Hilliard. But I feel like that's crazy because Justin Hilliard was a backup for a good portion of the year and still split snaps in the national championship game. But I think I'm going to go with Justin Hilliard. I think Justin Hilliard was the defensive MVP of this team. and I. I but I, at the same time, I don't really know if this team had a defensive MVP,
0: which is a real problem if you're playing for a national championship. I'd, I'd give you Justin Hilliard as best defensive player for the final three games of the season. Um, which
1: are, to me, the only three games that mattered, which is why I'm giving him – which is why he's my pick.
0: Fair. Fair. And I think it's also fair to say, yeah, I mean, there might not have really been a true uh, defensive MVP. Uh, I'm going to go with Tommy Togiai, though. Um, I think, again, you know, you could see when he wasn't there, how important he was. You know, I think that, you know, he's a guy that really, you know, I think when I, you know, you look at how great Ohio state was in the run game uh, on defense for most of the year. I, I think nobody had a bigger impact on that than Tommy Togiai being a dominant nose tackle. And I also think, you know, he, he had more of an impact in the pass rush than he probably got credit for at times. You know, I spot, he uh, was incredibly disruptive all year long, uh, did a great job against the run again, you know, but the reality is this defense did not have a chase young or a Jeff Okuda. And that's a big reason why it gave up 52 against Alabama. That's a big reason why this defense wasn't close to what it was last year. Uh, But there were still good players on it. And to me, I'd say Tommy Togi. I was the best one.
1: Yeah, I think he's completely reasonable. I, you know, he's if he had played in the national championship game, like I said, I think he'd mi- be mine. But I'll, like, maybe, maybe having the one guy who didn't play in the national championship game where they got absolutely torched is actually a good thing in this conversation.
0: Who would you say was the biggest surprise to you this year?
1: I mean, I'll just. Uh, I mean. There are a number of guys you can pick. There are two obvious ones. It's almost like you have to rule out the two obvious ones, but like some combination of Trey Sermon and Haskell Garrett. Like if it depends on what, what the definition of a surprise is too, because before the season I was expecting Trey Sermon to be decent to good. And early in the season, I, he was not decent to good. He was more like completely average. Um, So it was a surprise that he had his, he, he did what he did late in the season, but for Haskell Garrett to become an all American after getting literally shot in the face in late August. Like, yeah, that's pretty surprising. (laughs) Hard to get more surprising than that.
0: Yeah. I think that probably is the obvious and correct answer there of Haskell Garrett, because I mean, if you just take the whole shooting thing out of the equation, I mean, he's a guy that I didn't know if he could be more than just a average, average (laughs) rotation player. And he became an all American. So uh, I, I think, you know, he had an absolutely, uh, phenomenal season and he probably is the obvious choice. I mean, if I was going to go with an under rate under the radar guy too, I mean, I, I would say Jonathan Cooper surprised me in the strides he made in his game this year. Cause he's a guy that I kind of thought going into the year just kind of was what he was. And I did think that, you know, he made very real, uh, improvement as a pass rusher this year was a lot more disruptive than he had been passing. You know, he wasn't chase young, but nobody was expecting him to be. Uh, I did think that he, you know, became a much better player in his final year at Ohio state. And I think that will you know, pay dividends for him in the NFL draft process.
1: Yeah. You know, there, there, there are a number of guys that I think can be highlighted just like, as we look back on the season who weren't huge names, but like Thayer Munford never got talked about. Thayer Munford, like, to me he's the kind of guy who could have been an all-american but wasn't he's the kind of guy who could have been could have been an all-american but it's like nobody talks about Thayer Munford because Thayer Munford just does his job <laughs> like that's it like no nobody discussed him at all um I thought Josh Myers played awesome down the stretch um you know I think you know I think uh I think Tuff Borland's a guy who was I don't know I don't even know how you describe Tuff Borland before the season um the only thing that people thought about him was he's slow and he's a three time captain. I think he developed into a pretty decent player. So I, I don't know. There, there are a number of guys who I think on this team made really important late rises and, you know, we're just sort of fascinating to cover. And, and this is one of those things where I just, you know, it would have been cool to see this team play a full season. You know, you can say it a billion times, but um none of these guys really developed and, and had the season that we really expected them to um, and, and had that sort of season-long development, season-long progression as we normally are, are used to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in regards to Fayer Munford, uh, I mean, he, I could, I, I almost said him, you know, as an honorable mention for offensive MVP too, because I think, you know, he was right up there. I think he had a phenomenal season uh, left tackle. I think both offensive tackles did. I think both him, and Nicholas petit Frere had, you know, really excellent seasons uh, there at, at those offensive tackle spots. And, you know, just in terms of a playing their position basis, uh, were, we're two of the best players Ohio State had all season.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, this is, where, this is where it's it'll be interesting to see, you know, who declares for the draft or whatnot. I assume Nick petit Frere's is going to be back. I mean, I guess I can't be 100% sure. But, you know, if he's back, Paris Johnson at left tackle, like, well, this offensive line, again, is a, is a chance to be pretty, pretty good next year with, uh, I guess, probably C.J. Stroud. Who knows? Jack Miller, Kyle McCord in the mix, too. Um, Mike Williams, Travion Henderson. I don't know. This is going to be a totally – it's going to be a totally new offense, and, and that's going to be uh, – what do we have? Eight months to talk about? <laughs> It'll be interesting enough to fill up eight months. How about that?
0: Are there any other final thoughts on, you know, the 2020 season that – you know, jump to your mind, but you want to get out here on this podcast.
1: I mean, it's, it's just such a weird season. It feels, it feels both, you know, it feels like it has come to a natural conclusion and also feels incomplete. It's, it's, it's a weird season that'll never feel totally right. Yet. I think that when we look back on it, like nobody's going to forget this one.
0: Yeah. I mean, I definitely don't think we're going to forget this. I mean, this is uh, undoubtedly, the craziest season of college football I've ever covered. And like I said before, I hope that we never have another college football season like this because it, it uh, was extremely stressful for everyone involved. Um, You know, I think we all want to go back to, you know, a full, you know, 12 game regular season and every game actually being played and, you know, not having 20 guys unavailable a week. Uh, you know, I really, you know, I really hope that we never have to experience it again, but I don't think there's any question, uh, that this is going to be an unforgettable season. This is a season just for college football as a whole, that we are going to be talking about for a long, long time. It's going to be one of those seasons that when you look at it in the record books, it's always going to look funny because teams played so many different number of games, especially, you know, Ohio state playing far fewer games. Uh, than usual so I think this is always going to be a a unique and memorable season and you know I kind of come out of this uh, kind of the way the way I kind of felt this whole season was there was a part of me that was glad I had the opportunity to cover this season because it did feel like it was historic in the sense of it was just so unprecedented and so I'm glad I had the opportunity uh, to you know, cover it and document it for all that it was, but that doesn't mean I ever want to do it again.
1: No, no, no. I think uh, I think you're. I think everybody in the country is in agreement with that one. But I think one final thought for me on this season is like I think that as we stand right now, you know, Alabama is in tier one by itself, and Ohio State's chasing right alongside Clemson, and you know maybe you can throw Georgia in the mix, but I think that. I think as we roll into 2021, the, the tier is set. It's Alabama and everybody else. And, and Ohio State's right there in the 2020 21 recruiting class, recruiting, you know, right alongside them. And if you if you look at the rankings, um, but you know, these are two these are two teams that are gonna lose a lot of talent in the offseason. Um, and I think that I mean, there's there's a lot of talent. I mean, tr- obviously Clemson is losing Trevor Lawrence as well. There's a lot of turnover up top, and I think that, you know as we sit here today, it's, it's going to be hard to sort of project how this next season of college football looks because, you know, some of the top teams that 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 have been in the mix are, are losing such key players.
0: When you win six national championships in 12 years, you're in a tier of your own. Uh, so yeah, yeah. yeah. No, there's no, there's nobody I, with them right now. Yeah. I agree with you that. I think, you know, Alabama's tier one, Ohio state Clemson are tier two, and then everybody else.
1: Yep. Yep. But, uh, I look. I look forward to the next season. I mean, it's going to be. It, we'll have a. We'll have a full offseason to Get used to it. But I'll be honest. Like after seeing Justin Fields and Ryan Day together for the entirety of the Ryan Day stint as a head coach, it feels like. It feels like as this national championship ends, as the season ends, we move into the next era of of Ryan Day's tenure. And you know, there's a lot of new challenges that come with it um obviously you have to figure out what's going on with the defense you have to figure out your quarterback situation you're, you're losing plenty of other guys in the nfl you have to replace them but you know luckily for ohio state half
0: the roster is five stars so i think they're going to be a-okay well as as i said before we'll we'll talk more about the future and you know what we expect in 2021 on next week's show uh we do have some more questions Uh, from our listeners that we hadn't hit yet. So we're going to roll through those uh, real quick. You know, as I mentioned before, we did have uh, a few questions about Kerry Combs. uh, Didn't answer uh, all of them specifically, but to try to hit on what we didn't answer from here, um, you know, know, one of the questions that was asked by Ohio State Goon was, should OSU hire a full-time DB coach instead of having Combs pull double duty as both DB coach and defensive coordinator. And my answer to that was be if you feel like Kerry Combs can't handle double duty, then you should hire someone else to be the defensive coordinator because I think Kerry Combs has a proven track record as a defensive backs coach. I think he does not have a, a proven track record as a defensive coordinator. And now granted, he might not want to be just a defensive backs coach at this point. I mean, there's a reason why he left Ohio state in the first place. And there's a reason why he got that title when he came back. But I think, you know, if you, if you're not, I mean, if you're not confident that he can you know, handle both of those duties, I think that would be a problem, but I, I don't think Kerry Combs, not coaching defensive backs, uh, but being the lead defensive coordinator, I don't, I don't see that as the solution here. What about you, Colin?
1: Yeah, and, and also, and also, if if Kerry Combs isn't the guy full time coaching defensive backs, like you might not be able to recruit at the at the highest level that you do when when it comes to when it comes to def- the defensive backfield, which it feels like they're on that path again where, you know, they have James Singletary committed in the 2022 class. They have, you know, a couple top five corner bats coming in the 2021 class. They're in the mix for several other five stars in the 22 class. Like it feels like the influx of talent is coming to that position. So I don't really see that, that, I don't really see it as that being a, um, something that's going to happen. I mean, if you want it, like, these are the questions that I think are going to be hard to actually get an answer on. But like, how how much does Matt Barnes actually work with the defense backs? How well do he and Kerry Combs work together? Like, I think those are reasonable questions. And, and they're also really hard to get an answer on from the outside because they'll never actually want to tell you because then it makes someone responsible for something.
0: Correct. Correct. They're never going to make it uh, too clear. But, you know, to me, you know, if if, if there's going to be a change, you know, to me, it would be you know, if, if, a, you know, again, I, you know, I'll say this, I don't think anybody's about to get fired from the coaching staff because Ohio state just made it to the national championship game. Uh, so I don't think any uh, firings are coming. I don't think, you know, R- Ryan day is about to make any massive changes there. Uh, you know, but I do think that, you know, if a spot was to open up on, you know, the defensive coaching staff, then I do think, you know, you should consider, Okay is there somebody who can come in and, you know, maybe help us more from a scheme standpoint um, and and maybe can help carry some in that regard? Because I I believe that, you know, Kerry Combs is going to get back to developing stud defensive backs in the secondary. I really do. I think, you know, he inherited a group this year that did not have a lot of experience. Uh, I don't think Sean Wade's position switch went the way that, you know, anyone really expected it to. And, you know, it was a tough first year. I mean, he, you know, I think that's one thing that probably hasn't been discussed enough in our entire conversation on this is, you know, this is a guy, he comes in, he's a first year defensive coordinator, and then he loses months of time that he would typically have to work with his players on campus in terms of installing a new defense. So, uh, you know, I think, you know all of that in terms of both developing defensive backs and in terms of uh, running a defense. You know some of it can be chalked up to this unusual off season, and so I think you know we need to give Kerry Combs another year here to really see you know what he what he can do if he can make up for it. But there's no question that he's going to be under the microscope here going into 2021.
1: Yeah, I know St. Louis Buckeye, 15, asked a question about Kerry Combs, and you know, Big E, the Buckeye, asked sort of a similar question on the lines of what you're talking about, which is, is there a day-like change coming to the defensive side of the ball and what might it look like, which is essentially referencing the fact that they got what a, Urban got rid of, you know, Ed Warner and Tim Beck after the um, terrible season they had and brought in Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson a few years ago. Um, and to that, I would say, like, no. There, that's not going to happen. Not this year. And I think that that sort of goes back to the conversation earlier, which is like, this was Kerry Combs running a Ryan day defense. Like if it, like, if, you know, if, if, if you thought Kerry Combs' ideas were wrong, maybe you can, and, and, and faulty and weren't going to work. Maybe you can, maybe, maybe there would be something like that in uh, in store, but this was a Ryan day defense. You can't, you can't blame Kerry Combs in that way and just kick him out to kick him out to the curb because, you ran the defense that you brought him in to run. So I think that they have questions there, but it's not going to lead to Kerry Combs getting fired or, to be honest, anybody else in the coaching staff getting fired. It's just going to lead to a lot of people having questions outside of the Woody Hayes Athletic Center and them having to answer them on the field in the fall.
0: Now, I guess the one the one way that you maybe you would see some more turnover on this coaching staff would uh, lead to one of the other questions we were asked about this week by – MD Buckeye, 2002 of what coaches will Urban Meyer poach and take with him to Jacksonville? Will this affect commits or recruitment moving forward? Well, I would say for the most part, my answer to this question would be, uh, we could talk about this more, uh, in a week or two from now, if it actually happens, because as of this moment, we still don't know if Urban Meyer is going to actually take an NFL job. It sounds like he probably will, but I also think, uh you know considering some of the rumors that have been out there of Urban Meyer of the past couple of years it this is still kind of one of those things where it's like I'll believe it when he signs the contract um you know i think you know more likely what's going on right now is there's a couple different teams uh Jacksonville and the Los Angeles Chargers who uh want him and there could be a kind of a bidding war going on here but uh you know it's just, you know before you can truly worry about which coaches he's going to take with him uh, you know, he's got to actually take the job first, but, you know, in in terms of, you know, which coaches will leave, you know, I, I don't, I don't really know. I mean, I would say that I don't think it's going to be a lot. I don't think that he's going to come and take half the staff. Um, you know, I mean, I'm sure, you know, the ones that he's worked with, you know, I, you know, may, might he have reached out to, to gauge their interest that certainly, uh, possible so you'd think if anyone was going to leave it would more likely be from the offensive side of a ball since uh all of those coaches do have ties uh with him whereas you know most of the defensive coaches don't you know i mean obviously like Corey dennis is a name that you know people are going to look at because he's urban's uh son-in-law but even then i don't know like i think m- my honest opinion would be like i think Corey Dennis is probably in a better spot as Ohio state's quarterbacks coach uh, than he would be just going to the NFL right now. Uh, so I think all of those guys are going to have to make their own uh, decisions on that. If, if urban does have interest in them. And I think, uh, I think if, if urban takes them, that's probably the time for us to, to talk about the effect it could have on recruitment and stuff. Because I, I just, I just think to, to speculate on a coach leaving for urban Meyer staff and how that will affect recruiting when we have no idea which coach that would be. I don't really want to go down that road, but uh, might he take, might. A-
1: well, I mean, you don't want to go down that road. Cause it's literally impossible. It's impossible to know. But if you, if you look at the staff, like, I mean, you just go one by one, like Larry Johnson's not leaving for the NFL at this point, like, Greg Madison, like you said, there was a report that he might retire, so it seems unlikely that he would. Like Al Washington, I certainly don't see it happening. Kerry Combs is interesting, but like, what's what's what? Serban Meyer gonna do? Like, bring him in as a defensive coordinator? Like that was what you would have to do. It's not like he'd go back to college to to be a secondary coach again. I mean, he just left the NFL. He left that exact job to to um go to ohio State i'd be very position. i'd be
0: very surprised if kerry Combs chose to go back to the nfl after one yeah year.
1: yeah and and because i don't see urban meyer hiring him as his defensive coordinator mm-hmm. like i like tony alford i guess um i i, I mean he has Trayvon henderson coming in like <laughs> do you really want to leave right now or do you want to wait and see if you can parlay that into a better job and he's obviously never Coaching the nfl either um brian hartline's interesting sure but like brian hartline can have any wide receiver job in the country right now like it's if he want if he loves urban that much like i guess it's possible but but i don't i don't see that happening like i don't know maybe greg sidrawa but um i mean he's not an nfl guy either kevin wilson i don't really see that happening like there's there's not a lot of guys who I, who who I look at, and if it happened, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, I'd be pretty surprised if any of them did, other than, of course, Corey Dennis, which is, like, if you want to have the grandkids close, then you probably have to hire Corey Dennis. But that's an interesting spot because Ryan Day sort of stuck out his neck to say, say, you know, I'm going to hire you when I think, like, I question that hire. Like, I think a lot of people question that hire. Like, he hadn't been a full-time assistant coach before, and one of the reasons that they did it is to have longevity and to have him be around for a long time. So it would be an interesting conversation to have, but at the same time, like you are talking about family there. So, um, you know, it's, it, I, I, I then I think you look at, you know, the guys off the field and it's like, what, a what a Mark Bantoni take a front office job or, or what a, um, would Mick Maratti some, for, for some reason, want to go to, want to go and make the NFL leap. Um, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's some of those guys maybe off the field that, that you wonder more about, but it's, it's so hard to speculate because one, you don't know a hundred percent like what jobs they make sense for. You don't know um, if they want to actually end up in the NFL. And I mean, <laughs> like you said, I'm pretty confident Urban's going to be an NFL head coach at this point, but until he signs the papers, I guess I can't be a hundred percent sure.
0: I'd be very surprised if Ivor Mickey Murati or Mark Pantone left. I think, Yep. I agree. I think there probably will be a few people who currently work at Ohio state who probably join urban Myers staff on an NFL team, but I'm not sure they'll necessarily be people who are well-known names. I think it might be more people who, you know, run operations behind the scenes who he thinks can provide some role in the NFL.
1: Um. Another question, speaking of, if we're going to speak, talk about Jacksonville, we can talk about a Jacksonville cornerback from Bia who asks, what do you make of Sean Wade's play this, this year and his decision to come back? Do you think he has an NFL future at outside corner, or do you think he's going to have to go back to slot? And I do think it's important to clarify he has not said he's going to come back um, as of this recording.
0: Well, I think he um, meant he, he the decision to come back last year.
1: Oh, the decision to come back last year. Because I think that there is a decision of now of whether he wants to come back to, to Ohio State for the 2021 season. I mean, you know, Sean, Sean's an interesting guy. Like, you can never – he. I feel like I've never really fully been able to figure him out. I mean, obviously his dad is, you know, out, out in the forefront on, on social media all the time and, and was one of the big people making a push for – um for Ohio State in the in the Big Ten to, to play football in the fall. But, you know, after the game, I mean, Sean said like he basically said he wants to come back for the twenty twenty one season, which was sort of shocking for him to actually say. But I have no idea if he actually if if that'll actually happen because like it was a pretty open secret that, you know, he's gonna come back and, and opt back into this twenty twenty season, but obviously with the idea that after the year he'll go be a professional and potentially a first round pick and now that the first round pick thing certainly isn't going to happen, I I don't know where he goes from now.
0: Yeah, I mean we'll we'll know for sure by next week because the NFL draft declaration deadline is on Monday. I'd still be very surprised if he came back. Certainly, I don't think this year lived up to Sean Wade's expectations. You know, I, mean, I think Sean Wade's expectations coming into this year were uh, to be you know an, an elite outside cornerback and to solidify himself as a first round NFL draft pick at that spot. And that did not happen. I mean, I, I think in terms of the NFL future question, I think he's absolutely going back to slot corner in the NFL. I think that's clearly his better position. And I think that's almost part of a reason why it's, it still probably makes the most sense for him to just go to the NFL now, because you know, I, I, you know, obviously the idea of coming back last year was if you played outside corner and you'd excelled at that spot, you could solidify yourself as a first round pick. You'd show you have that versatility to play anywhere in the secondary. Now, I think it's pretty clear that, you know, he, he's better as a slot corner. And I think that's where he's going to be drafted to play in the NFL. And I think he can be successful at that position in the in the NFL. Can he be an outside corner in the NFL. I mean, right now, just based on what I say, saw this year, I'd say no. Um, could, if he comes back next year, d- could he potentially make massive strides in that area and re solidify himself as that first round pick? It's certainly possible. And I mean, I, I think, you know, that's the one thing that could make it a valid conversation is just if he believes that coming back for one more year and being developed by Kerry Combs for another year. If that could, you know, make him, you know, the dominant player he thought he would be this year uh, that it could be worthwhile to come back for one more year, but it would still surprise me because I mean, this is a guy who almost opted out of even playing this year when it looked like there wasn't going to be a season. And this is a guy who almost went pro at this time a year ago. So to see him end up playing, you know, two more years after that uh, would still surprise me if it happens. But uh, it's not off the table as of this moment that we speak.
1: I mean, it's just you want to be a, a mid to late round pick. I mean, that's just like if we're just talking in reality, like who's taking him before the third, fourth, fifth, sixth round. Like is it, you said it earlier, like it's not that he wasn't good this year, like he was bad this year. And it was sort of a shock. Like I remember after the first game, you know, we were like people were sort of freaking out about uh, like my what I thought were minor things, and I was I remember making a joke like like the worst thing is that the first round cornerback didn't play very well. Like it turns out he was just wasn't a first round cornerback. Like I, I I don't really at least as an outside cornerback. Like I if he stays in Ohio State, I certainly think he would go back to the slot. I certainly don't think that he would spend another year as an outside cornerback just because why would you if if you played so well in the slot like that, that, that put you in the first round conversation and now you're in the mid to late round conversation right now. So, you know, he, he just has an interesting decision to make because, you know, I, I, you know, he's someone who, if, if he, if he was upset with how the year went, he just isn't going to tell you. Um, and and that's just how it is. Like, and that's totally reasonable. I don't think he's wrong to to do that. It's just, it's hard to know how upset he was and, and how determined, he would be to to come back and and fix his, you know his, uh, fix his um, draft stock um, and, and improve it. Um, I, I I don't know, but he has he has one of the most interesting decisions to make because on one hand I just feel like he's probably gone. Now the, the other hand I sort of think like if he comes back like John Wade was good before the twenty twenty season like it wasn't a mirage, um, but he wasn't in the best spot for him in my opinion.
0: Yeah, but I mean one thing of that is. And this would be my opinion is if he if he comes back and plays him a slot, I don't think that's gonna I don't think, I don't think that's gonna give him that much ability to bolster his draft stock because I think he's already shown he can be a really good slot corner he's shown he hasn't been a very good outside corner so would coming back and playing the position he proved he could play two years ago really help his NFL draft stock?
1: Yeah, I mean I think it I think it could. I mean I, I do. I mean, you just have you have one year of him playing bad. Like that's the last thing that be that what people are gonna draft him off of is is a year of, of bad football. And sure, um I mean I think I mean part of it is like how well will he test at the NFL combine? I mean, if he has a really bad NFL combine too, like, man, that the draft stock might be way lower than than even we think. Um and, and that's one of those things where it's like if you if you're right, or if you do come back and you play well but combine numbers aren't going to be great anyway then then where will you get picked I don't I don't really know I think that this is just a decision that he and his family are going to have to make um and you know I, I, one way or another I'll be interested to see how he how he sort of explains it because you know obviously he, he and his father have, have spoken to the media plenty of times so they they are open to you know talking about their process and, and that's going to be an interesting um, an interesting thing to to watch in the next
0: week Final thing for today, Silver Sniper asked, what kind of impact does the Ohio State run through the playoffs and ultimate outcome have on recruiting?
1: Ah, Yes. Back, back, back to the basics, back to what everybody likes to talk about recruiting.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't really think it's changed anything. I mean, I think this is the expectation is to be competing for national championships. Uh, I mean, certainly it's better when you win the national championship than when you lose it, but the good news is Ohio state at least got there, you know, it won in the college football playoff. So I I think, I think it did enough of what it needed to do to keep itself right there at the top uh, in terms of, you know, being a school that uh, kids from all over the country want to go to because ultimately, you know, going to the college ball playoff and winning in the college ball playoff is what you've got to do to really uh, keep yourself at the forefront of elite recruits. And, you know, I think the big, you know, the big thing is in terms of you know, uh, you know, recruiting to win national championships is their top competition on the recruiting trail right now is Alabama too. So, uh, you you've gotta, you know, you've gotta keep vying for these really really elite classes because Alabama is bringing them in every year. So, uh, you know, that's that's the challenge. Is you know, you're competing with Alabama and Clemson on the recruiting trail just like you are on the field. But I, I don't think that, you know for better or for worse, I don't think that the college ball playoff uh, really changed anything in that regard. You know, I think, you know, losing to Clemson again, might've hurt them a little bit because uh, you know, you just would just add one more, you know, loss to this team that you've not been able to beat. But I think by beating Clemson and getting to that national championship game, I think they did what they needed to do uh, to keep their, to keep plenty of momentum on the recruiting trail.
1: Yeah. The playoff doesn't matter nearly as much in recruiting as the NFL draft does. Like the playoff to me, I think what it did is, I mean, I don't think the ultimate outcome losing to Alabama in the fashion they did affected anything on the recruiting trail. Um, I think that, I think them beating Clemson is probably to me what affected it more. And and it's not even really that great of an effect, but it essentially certified that yeah, Ohio state is one of the very best teams in the country. Um, and, you know, it will um, you know, if, if you're if you're the highest level of, of of recruiting the country, Ohio State's right there with Clemson, it's right there with Alabama, um, and you can go win a title at, at Ohio State. And I think that, you know, beating one of those two teams, Clemson or Alabama, I think that that maybe helps in the national landscape. But yeah, it's not it's not like this has a, a tremendous effect on recruiting. I mean, every I mean, people clearly viewed Ohio State as one of the preeminent powers in the country and recruits viewed that as, as well.
0: I think it does matter. Cause I think, I think guys want to play at the school is where they think they can win national championships. So I think it matters in the sense of you've got to be, you know, cause, to, cause I think right now, again, we talked about it in terms of, you know, the tiers, I think right now there's free, free schools, that clearly stand out above the rest as uh, the schools that, you know, you expect to be in the national championship conversation year in and year out. So I think it's very important for Ohio state to make sure that it stays right at the forefront of that conversation. I don't think, you know, I don't think winning or losing that game against Alabama was going to make a huge impact on recruits. They may or may not get. Uh, but I do think getting there in, in being in, I do think that's very important in, in terms of, you know, selling to recruits that, Hey, if you come here, you're going to have a chance to compete for national championships.
1: Yeah. I mean, any wins matter. I mean, at the same time, like, it's not like Georgia has been rolling through the playoff and, and Georgia's recruiting awesome. Like, you know, LSU won the national title um, last year and, and they didn't bring in the number one class in the country. So I think what it does is really like, it just certifies what we already know and what recruits already knew, which is Ohio state's awesome. Ohio state's national powerhouse and you can win at Ohio state, which is also exactly what we knew before the playoff and before the season. So what it does is it makes sure that Ohio State has not slipped, which is I guess I guess that's that's really all that matters. It's not like
0: Ohio State can climb much more when it comes to recruiting. Thanks again for listening in on another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Hope you all uh, enjoyed the season uh, despite a disappointing finish. Uh, it's certainly been a whirlwind of a season um, and you know we've enjoyed uh, covering it and discussing it. Uh, with all of you and, you know, now uh, it's uh, football off season, and we'll uh, try to keep things interesting here uh, in the next uh, eight months. And uh, certainly next week, we'll really start diving more into uh, what the team could look like in 2021. So uh, feel free to send us uh, any questions you have along those lines and we'll try to answer them next week.